This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Harding, Editor-in-Chief of Power Motor Yacht, welcoming you back to the Power Motor Yacht Podcast, your home for the best stories in boating. I'd like to kick things off today with a quick shout out to our sponsor, Atlantis Marine Finance. When it comes to getting a loan for your new boat, there's a lot of options out there, but not all are created equal. Atlantis Marine Finances focuses solely on the boat and yacht space and understands the complexities that sometimes come with boat buying. For more information on financing your dream boat, head on over to AtlantisMarineFinance.com. Now, on to the episode. So, hey guys, this is Chris Dixon, um, Senior Editor of Power & Motor Yacht Magazine. I'm bringing you the Power & Motor Yacht Podcast, and I have an interesting duo here today to speak with. Usually our pods revolve around motorized propulsion, but this time there's something a little bit different, and that is human-powered propulsion by way of very long-distance passages. We became aware of Blake Sufferling and Pete Glazer and the crew at Courser Racing by way of one of our principals at Active Interest Media and we're quite fascinated with a veterans nonprofit that these two guys have started up. It's a very holistic and I think forward-looking organization. It's called Courser Racing, and I'm going to let Blake and, and Pete tell us a little bit more about it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys to Blake Sufferling and Pete Glazer. Guys, welcome. Blake, you started off, and then let's follow with Pete. You guys give us a bit of your life history, then we'll talk about how you evolved into this organization. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for for having us, and uh, the crew at Active Interest Media has just been incredibly supportive, kind of from the get-go, which um, has been such a blessing. But my name is Blake Sufferling, grew up in South Florida, developed a passion for the water in South Florida, played a lot of lacrosse, ended up getting recruited um, to go to West Point, where mm-hmm. I was I went there for four years, majored in economics, and then really kind of developed an interest in becoming an infantry officer. So focused my efforts on um, becoming the best leader I could be and, and understanding kind of how I fit into that ecosystem. Became an infantry officer, did that entire, you know, kind of run up just like Pete, the Airborne Ranger mm. kind of process, and then ended up in the 82nd Airborne Division. Wow. Deployed out of there. Uh, to Iraq in 2015, as ISIS was kind of sweeping through Syria and, and northern Iraq, worked to to train those guys up and help them to overtake Ramadi and, and Mosul, or at least, you know, uh, fight against the defensive positions in Ramadi and, and Mosul, which mm-hmm. they successfully did, which was really incredible. And, and that kind of experience led me towards uh, special forces and, and being a Green Beret. So came back from there, saw the importance of partnered operations abroad. Um, really gained an understanding of and a passion for partnering with a local populace mm. and like the Green Beret approach of learning the language and then building able to, you know, being able to build partnerships to kind of leverage like organic forces within that country rather than send young Americans to solve foreign problems. So mm. really love that. Um, just finished a five, six year career as a special forces officer where I led an operational detachment alpha and then another troop 
Um, while I was a special forces officer, uh, I met Pete in, in our qualification course, which is a two and a half to three year long course where we kind of learned the fundamentals of unconventional warfare mm. um, and how to partner with, um, you know, local forces. Kind of fell in love with Pete, love the way his mind works. And we just stayed in touch throughout that whole thing. And that kind of led us to, to develop course of racing. Cool. That's a hell of an intro for you, Blake. Pete, give us give us your uh, <laughs> give us your down and dirty. Yeah, tough act to follow. Um, <laughs> so I, I grew up as a military brat. So I've lived all over the place my whole life. My my mom, uh, she actually just re- released a book the other day, but she she was in uh, for thirty one years. Wow. Uh, my dad was a West Point. What's the name graduate? of the book, by the way, we got it. We got it. We got yeah, it. What's the, name the, of the plug? Book. Plug it. Oh, it's called. Uh, Choose your battles, I think, or choose your battle. I, I mean, it literally was just released, and wow. she's she's you know pretty nervous about it, but very passionate name? about it. Um, Irene Glazer, if you want to look it up on Amazon, they're out of stock right now. But uh, she wrote a she wrote a book about her journey being a female in in the army. I mean, you wow. gotta think thirty years ago is a is a different time, uh, but was very successful. It was pretty convenient having a a senior military officer as a parent while I was in the army myself. But so, so military was my whole life. I mean, my, my mom was in, obviously her dad was in one of her sisters was like the, the third female paratrooper in the U S army. Yeah. You know, my dad's dad was in the army. It's just, it's generational for me. And so when I was in high school, I knew I was going to go into the military. I went through a phase where I was like, nah, that's not for me, but, um, ended up, through a series of just challenging decisions as a young person to decide on where to go to school. And ironically, I was trying to get out of going into the army. Uh, so I, I was kind of like doing my own thing, branching away from my parents. And then ultimately, uh, ROTC is what brought me into college. So I, I ended up at Auburn, which is a super long story how I, how I ended up there, but commissioned into the infantry, similar journey to Blake there, whereas, you know, when you're an infantry officer, you're for about a year, you're in training, uh, a lot of time in the field, but that includes ranger school and airborne school and all of that stuff. So I spent my first year in the army in Alaska, a, a small airborne unit, similar to the 82nd. And then from there, I went to the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, which, which allowed me to go to Afghanistan at the time, uh, president Obama had just authorized legal targeting of ISIS for being ISIS. Uh, whereas prior to, we were fighting the Taliban and ISIS was kind of a a byproduct if they were participating, but those two organizations didn't really get along. Right. Uh, so, so a couple, couple deployments with the Rangers in Afghanistan. And then I went to the Q course where I met Blake um, and I'll echo the same sentiment. Like we, we connected over a lot of different things. Uh, personality is one, but we have a lot of very uh, strange mutual acquaintances and friends from our upbringing. And uh, yeah, I went to 10 special forces groups. So, so we were looking at Eastern Europe. I spent a couple of deployments there. I learned how to speak Russian and the whole deal was countering Russian malign influence. So, wow. uh, you know, in, in 2019, I think it was in Ukraine or 2020. And that was the, the last time that Russia did a big border exercise. And the U.S. said, ah, we're not going to respond to this one because it's always it's a boy who cries wolf. Right. So they usually push up to the border. We push up to the border and we all go home. But that time we didn't respond. And, and the next time they pushed up to the border, they invaded. But I, I knew I wanted to be in special forces in about 2006 uh, is when I made the decision. So everything was kind of a journey leading up to that. And then, yeah, I mean, I ended up leaving active duty service uh, for family reasons. Mostly I have two young kids and, and it was uh, the amount of moves we made were, were starting to take a toll. 
and I wanted some stability for my children. And uh, Corsa Racing was born out of really adventure, but it but it was you know Blake and I both are pretty passionate about giving back to the community, uh, not just the military community, but community writ large. It was like this uh, underlying you know, passion for service that honestly, I don't really think I realized I had until I got out. Because as hmm. soon as I got out, I was like, all right, what can I do for the community now and not just national defense or uh, security? So it started out as, you know, a couple of guys wanted to do something epic. And then it turned into a nonprofit and, and a mission to give back and give back to other veterans. And frankly, I think what we have is is unique in comparison to the other veteran transition organizations or support organizations out there. Because we're, we're aiming to give guys a mission that's extremely challenging. And, and that's something that special operations dudes in general are, are used to is this kind of goal out here in the future that's challenging, it's hard to achieve, and then backwards planning all these steps uh, to make that happen. So hmm. um, that's kind of general overview. I'm sure I missed some of the good stuff, but that's me. That was pretty good. He's much sharper than me. <laughs> you guys sound, sound pretty sharp to me. Pete, I didn't get your your current line of work. And oh yeah, good yeah, good point. Uh, so I, when I got out, I I used a military internship to get into uh, management consulting. So I'm doing that now. Um, pretty traditional consulting role, but I've in the last few months I've really been doing a lot of stuff in the national defense space. So it's hmm. it's been good. And then on the side, you know, Blake and I have started an organizational health consulting practice where we're helping uh, small to medium sized enterprises uh, really just dial in on their culture. Uh, and and how they behave, uh, mm. like to achieve success through people, and so that's, you know, we we kind of have some side projects, if you will, but really, uh, my full time job is is I'm I'm a management consultant. You know, pretty typical, um, by definition, I guess. And you know, it's interesting to hear you guys talking about the fact that you've also now got this this veteran support nonprofit. Let's talk about how Corsa Racing kind of what was the spark for it. And how it evolved, um, because it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty damn interesting program that you guys have come up with here, Blake. Yeah, you want to start? yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep this kind of sh- brief, but Pete and I are both part of the you know like combat diver community. Okay, is, I didn't know that. Okay, right yeah. on. So we both kind of developed this incredible love for the ocean, and we kind of used the military as a vehicle. Like they, they at one point they were like, "Hey, can you?" Uh, do you think you can try this out? And I was like, oh, man, nine weeks in Key West or whatever it was. I was like, yeah, so I'll you, figure it you out. You guys went down to the Key West yeah. facility. Yeah. That place I've heard is hardcore, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the bubble right there. It's what I say. It's like awesome. People are like, oh, man, that's you must be so tough. And I was like, well, you know, at one point I was really tough. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean I'm really tough right now. <laughs> so we just kind of developed a passion for that. And I remember Pete calling me out of the blue one day. And he's like, hey, man, I'm in Antigua. I'm with Christy. I'm we're down here and we're watching all these boats come into the harbor and they're competing in this cross ocean rowing race. Mm. This is kind of insane. Do you want to try to put a team together? And I immediately, I was like, one, thanks for calling me first. And two, yes, absolutely. So it's awesome. Wait, when was this? Did, did you say what, how long ago was this? This was, this was in about, uh, 2021. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah. It was about 2021. I was on like the first overseas vacation with my wife. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he sees them all coming in. They're in this beautiful, picturesque bay. He calls me. We're like, yeah, let's do it. We can do anything. And then we realized really quickly, we were like, holy crap, man. This is like, you, it's it, really challenging to even get a spot in the race. I can imagine. Raising is not something that SF guys are 
super good at. You mean um, raising funds? Raising funds, right. yeah. And then, and then finding a team that's like really willing and rallying behind like this idea um, was, was pretty challenging. So we kind of tabled it. And then like, I don't know what it was, but something happened where somebody texted us. It was in a, a soft transition veteran group that we're both yeah, in. Yeah, it was in a soft transition veteran group. Somebody texts us randomly as an Air Force guy. And he's hmm. like, hey, is anybody interested in doing this? We both jumped on it and we just kind of ran with it since then. And I'll kind of hand it over to Pete to clarify anything that I missed. First of all, I'm fired up that you mentioned the dive school because that's like the, the, what I'm most proud of. I, I got that's to go awesome. as a uh, ROTC cadet, actually, wildly unprepared. And I failed it in 2012. And, and honestly, it was the first thing that I've ever truly failed. And not saying that to sound arrogant, I, I, you know, I've done poorly in many things, but that was the first thing that I walked away from with my tail between my legs. And I was like, I can't have that. And I literally tailored the rest of my career around how do I get back into a position where they'll send me back to that course? And so, yeah, and I'm very passionate about the dive mission and special operations, especially our course in the Army, because I, I do believe it is the most challenging military course that is out there. And I can tell you with confidence, I would struggle to pass that thing right now in a big way. And I know you would too, Blake. But uh, I've, I mean, I have heard about this school. And, you know, one of the people that I've actually worked with in the past is a lady named Angel Yanegahara, who is a jellyfish researcher. And nice. she is the person, I don't know if you guys ever had encounters with fox jellyfish. Um, down in the Keys, but she's the person who came up with this product called Sting No More, and she did it for that that SOF community, you know, um, cool. specifically. And so she, you know, she really kind of tuned me in. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, I don't even know about, you know, I mean, you hear about the SEALs, of course, and, and, and other, you know, demolition teams, but I was not aware of how epic that school really is, you know? Yeah, I don't know why they did it that way, but it, it's, you know, we're not the Navy, but it is the hardest. And I think the SEALs would tell you the same. They've heard the same rumors and there's a couple of reasons why, but um, I'm not knocking the SEALs by any, by any means. They, they get wet and sandy in their entire pipeline and that would not be that fun, right? Key West yeah. is warm and nice but uh <laughs> it's true <laughs> no I, what i tell people is honestly what makes it I, I still believe that anybody can do what blake and i did if you set your mind to it you just have to be able to you know it has to be something you're fired up about but i tell people when i talk about dive school like just to try to like define the difficulty it was like when i finished with dive school i could put my head in a bowl of water and comfortably make myself pass out because I was so close to drowning all the time. Like you get, I blacked out twice in my first in college and you get to a point where you're like, I don't care. Drowning isn't a big deal. <laughs> and that's, and then, you know, nowadays it's like, no way, dude. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> nowadays I'm, I'm, like, back, I'm, like, I'm like, whoa, yeah, I was, I'm impressed with myself, but I am very proud of that whole, um, you know, accomplishing that. And, uh, but yeah, anyways, that's, the, Blake and I came across this whole thing. It was it was totally a coincidence. It you know when I saw the boats coming in on vacation, I got to meet with some of the guys that had just accomplished the race, and I was asking them questions like, "How long did you train for this?" Or, um, you know, "Are you guys collegiate rowers? Like, what's the deal?" And the the resounding sentiment that I got was like, "I didn't really train for it that hard. You know, I'm a runner. Um, no, I've never really rowed in my life." Wow. And so I realized it was it wasn't about physicality it's it's just grit you know the people that do this race are ordinary people for the most part you know they've that have just accomplished extraordinary things and and so for me immediately it was like okay well if you can do it i can do it because you know i can 
it's if it's a grit thing, that's where we thrive. Like we we really are good about severe discomfort for long periods of time. And that's that's what the the harder sides of the military kind of train people to do. And then right. yeah, I came across a guy randomly in a in a really cool group uh called 51 Vets that Blake and I are both members of that that's designed to take uh special operators and and pilots and help them transition out into kind of um I, I don't like, you know, really they're, they're helping guys switch into like banking, finance, PE, consulting roles. Some of those like kind of hot button post MBA type of jobs. Right. Uh, but somebody came across a coach, wanted to put together a team. We kind of, it, it reopened our interest. And then once we got in with the coach, we now had somebody who had done the race, who's interested in us getting, you know, across the finish line and has kind of talked us through the process. So, uh, we kind of hit the ground running and then very early on realized like if we're going to ask people to donate money, it should be a write-off. So let's, let's think about this nonprofit thing. But then as we started to, you know, watch our other teammates grow in this, right. So we have a one guy who's not on the call right now, but I've never even met him in person. He's one of Blake's old teammates. And when I first met him, it was like a, you know, no different than meeting another army NCO. He's like, yeah, I'm interested. Let's do it. But watching him go from like an interested party uh, who's just an NCO in special forces, like guys that I've worked with my whole career, but watch him turn into like a businessman where he's now like owning events and he's putting things together. He's raised more money than Blake and I combined. And we kind of realized like, dude, we are actually, this guy's going to have some serious resume credential from this, right? Like he's going to have everything from stakeholder management, executive communication, uh, fundraising, managing a PNL, all of these things that you don't really get in the army. I mean, you do, but really our resumes, like we're trained to translate what we did into business words. And oftentimes that's convoluted. And frankly, I think it's almost a disservice. A lot of times, you know, you hear a lot, we joke a lot about senior officers will put CEO equivalent or COO equivalent on their resumes. But the reality is it's not it's not. It's totally different scope of responsibility. Yeah. Not saying they're not phenomenal leaders that can't lead big organizations, but uh, that turned into like, hey, we we can do a lot for guys that are that don't know what they're going to do when they get out, and and it's highlighted a lot of different things that we didn't even realize, and that's one of them in particular is that almost everybody you talk to who's leaving special operations has no idea what they want to do when they get out. Wow. They just know that getting out is the right move at, the, at that time. A lot of it's retirement. A lot of guys are like, you know, they're, they could retire or they could stay in, but, you, you know, they're physically broken or, you know, just been living this really high paced lifestyle for so long. So it's like, yeah, I can't keep doing it. And then a lot of guys get out at the 10 year mark where it's kind of like make the decision if you want to do 20 or you want to be a, as a staff guy or you want to get out. But over overall, I mean, everybody does not know what they want to do, doesn't know if they're happy in the job they're in. They don't, it it was just this huge gap. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mix that in with throughout our journey, we've had a couple uh, incidents of suicide, like that have been people close to us. And, you know, I just kind of had this like realization, like, man, if I could have put that guy on my team and given him a mission that he's training for and said, hey, this is yours, you're the team sergeant, make sure we're like on time, on target, all that stuff. I really do believe that it would it at least extended that dude's life for for the the duration of our race, you know, and and maybe help bring some clarity into what you want to do. And I can say from experience now, it's like you don't know what it's like being in business until you're in business. So when you 
when I came out of the army and I said, I want to do consulting because it kind of sounds like special forces to me. Right. Well, it doesn't, it, you have to go to a company and start working there to realize what questions to even ask about a company before you, before you join. So what we, what we hope to do is provide this platform where people that, you know, don't necessarily know what they want to do when they get out or are struggling with the prospects of being out or struggling with whatever else they may have picked up throughout the course of their career. This is an opportunity to be doing something meaningful, working forward towards like a, a future objective or a future job. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're going to actually gain real skills, right? That, that when you tell an employer what you've been doing, you know, anybody's going to get interested when you talk about rowing across the ocean. But when you really break down all of the work that it entails, like you alluded to, given your experience in uh, Warrior Surf Foundation, it's a lot of work. And frankly, Blake and I are probably the most busy on our team. And so our teammates are, are shouldering a lot of the burden. But with that, they're getting a lot of experience and then they're getting, you know, access. I'm not going to say that we're anything special, but we're like one step ahead of these people. Right. So we're yeah. starting to see here are the certifications you want to chase down. Here are, uh, you know, here's what it's like if you go to a full time MBA versus a executive MBA. Or do you even need to get an MBA? Do you want to study this or that? And so really, we're like accidentally coaching people on the transition process. But we, we, you know, when Blake and I get on the phone, we realize it and like, this is what we need to be doing is giving a platform to people. And, and I don't know that it's always going to be rowing across an ocean because a lot of people can't take time off for up to 60 days. But uh, it's definitely, you know, what we'll call a culminating event for our foundation, uh, for the people that want to do it. And we want to be in a position where we can we can put people across the ocean um, and it's it's a far less burden for them and much more of a, a learning experience, um, you know, business development experience. But a lot more of the focus for our, our future members is going to be accomplishing the mission versus just getting to the start line, which is our, our challenge. Right. Our, our, our challenge is getting to the start line and we want to be in a position to where our future teammates, their challenge is getting to the finish line, not the start line, if that makes sense. So. Let's let's talk quickly, guys, about you know who is the guy behind these ocean racing projects and what does he see in this and what is sort of his ultimate goal in the United States? You know, and where else has he been doing it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So the the, the organization is called World's Toughest Row, and the owner is uh, Carson Olson, uh, and he he purchased this company a while back uh, when it was struggling, and they turned it into a pretty profitable business, but. Between Karsten, uh, uh, the, their event manager, Nikki Holter, uh, she's she's the one that we interact with most. And then they have three or four coaches and safety officers and a handful of other folks. But they all they've all accomplished this mission themselves on the Atlantic side and um, have generated a lot of interest in northern Europe. But they're really excited about the U.S. market opportunity. And that was a that was a big deciding factor on, uh, I believe, on why they chose to do a Pacific race. Hmm. Is because you know we have uh, you know I think it's up to 400 million people now or something like that and actually scratch that I don't know how many people in the U.S. but it's a huge opportunity because we have a lot of people we have a a very large maritime um, accessible maritime network and uh, the sport is is still on the rise here. Do we know how many teams are signed up at this point or do you know how many you guys will be competing against at this point or are there more to come? It's around 10. This year wow. it was about 14. And, and the last time we checked, there was about 10, a few less than this year. 
A lot of teams sign up late, though. I don't anticipate racing against more than 20, 20 boats. And then I'll add that those teams can range from singletons to to five. So they yeah. do break it up by class. So more than likely, we'll only be racing truly against a couple of other boats. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will definitely be racing against ourselves. Right. It's funny, we, you know, if the people that do this are, are interested in the ex- excursion opportunity. And, you know, some, some of them are, are all about speed. But for us, it's all about minimizing the time on the water. <laughs> you know, it's, it, we, when it's, it's funny because the army guys and the crew are like, I want to get on the boat and get off as soon as I can. You know what I mean? Whereas everybody else has, you know, got their, their goggles ready for if a whale comes up, they can swim with them. Yeah. We're like forget the whales, forget the sights. We are getting to the finish line as quickly as possible. We're, we, we are going for the world record. Oh, you cool. know, it's, awesome. it's, it's an aspirational goal, but we do believe that uh, we can, we can beat it, you know, and oh. there's a lot of factors at play of it. That's the, that's the game plan. There will also be a world record for first all American army team to ever do this. Cool. Anything else to add on that, on the, competition front there blake or did he cover it pretty well no i think we touched on it briefly but like a huge aspirational goal we have is to be able to to sustain four hour shifts yeah so that's that's really what we're pushing for in the next three months is kind of like how our training is being tailored so more to follow on that what you guys are trying to do with courser blake give it to us sort of in a nutshell but it's it's very multidisciplinary the ultimate goal is rowing from freaking what san francisco to Kauai which is an insane endeavor in and of itself. But if I'm not mistaken, it's also all of the things that you have to make happen along the way. And that becomes a literal resume slash portfolio. So yeah, yeah talk a little bit more about how, how you guys want that to work, you know? Yeah, thanks for that question. So to kind of provide it for the listeners, provide some context. So what we're talking about is a four-man, 28-foot ocean rowing craft with two small cabins on either side a water maker, about 5 million calories of uh, food, (laughs) um, and some communication equipment. And uh, what we're trying to do is essentially a proof of concept for Corsa Racing, where in July of 2024, the four of us will depart in a a race um, where we're not the only boat. It's a supported race and that there is safety craft in the passage between Monterey, California, and Kauai. Wow. Um, and there will be teams varying from one to like six people, right? So we'll be a four-man team. Um, and what we're doing now is raising money and we're looking to have a boat here by November um, so that we can do a proof of concept where we bring on these other two guys and the four of us build out this 501c3 and we complete this race. And what we've decided was we want to raise funds for an alternative charity that's not right. veteran facing, veteran focused, because we think, I think collectively in our team, we've been overwhelmed by the amount of support that we've received as veterans. Um, I have been encouraged by a lot of people in my life to be kind of like, you know, forward about where my heart is. And I grew up in an incredibly broken home. Mm. And so a part of this race is donating to an alternative charity. And so what we've done is we've selected and partnered with the National Children's Alliance, which provides children's advocacy services to kids who are abused. Okay. They're essentially an intermediary between the government and the child. So the child only has to tell their story one time. And then that story is then they they then have an advocate that helps tell that story to, you know, case managers and, you know, SVU detectives and all that stuff. It was a really incredible thing. So that's kind of where our heart is at. 
And what we want to do is raise money to prop up this charity so that we have some operating capital to continue to exist in perpetuity, Mm -hmm. but then also donate our overages to the National Children's Alliance. And while we're racing, raise awareness um, for child abuse and then, and, you know, use our, use the fact that we're even on this podcast to just be, you know, transparent men who are like, Hey, we've dealt with really challenging things and encourage others to, to seek the help that they need. So that's been a really impressive, you know, like really important part of our lives. And it's something that Pete and Chris and I have really grown around. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then to answer your second part of the question, our goal is that, you know, we, we depart, we get the boat, we, we crush the race, set a world record, <laughs> um, and then get the boat back and then start putting as many teams of guys on this boat as we can. That's right? awesome. So we understand that. And this is the real vision, right? This is like the real goal. The real goal is that we become subject matter experts and we're advocates for these guys. And we're going out and we're selecting people from our community and saying, hey, you're not done serving. The greatest thing you ever did was not something that you did when you were 25 years old. You still have a lot more to live for, man. But we're going to help you out. And um, we're going to hold you to this uh, physical training program. We're going to hold you to this meal program. We're going to hold you accountable. Make sure you're being the man or woman that you you need to be for your families as you transition out, you know, that six to 12 month period. And then at the end of that, right. um, You're going to get on a boat and you're going to do an excursion across the Gulf of Mexico. Um, So that'll be something from Pennsylvania to St. Pete or Pennsylvania to Key West or (laughs) Pennsylvania, Pensacola, Pensacola, Pensacola to Houston. um, And just basically be able to rep that out. So we're putting 10 teams of four at a minimum on the water um, throughout the year. And that's, that's really the goal, right. It's just like, and then, those guys are all going to be raising money for charities that resonate in their lives oh, so they perfect. can continue okay. to raise money. Yeah. So, and these boats are one, they're not cheap Two, they are built by a specific company. Right. And yeah. so you guys are, are not only forming this 501 C three that is going to, that that's basically becoming a real world civilian professional learning organization. You are also looking to raise the funds to buy this badass boat. And let's talk a little bit about this, these boats and what they cost and how they're built. And then the fact that once you have this boat, like said, this boat can be used to go anywhere on the planet, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so and Blake kind of touched on the the specs a little bit, but uh, just from a production perspective, there's really only one company uh, based out of the UK that produces these boats to the proper standards uh, that the, the race requires. Right? There's a, there's actually a, a lot of safety requirements, which is one one of the reasons that we were were drawn to um, the organization that's running our race is is because they don't mess around when it comes to safety requirements, everything from equipment to the boat itself. So I think a big part of the price is essentially there's, there's one company that kind of has a monopoly on it. Yeah. Believe it or not, there's a, uh, there's a pretty deep interest uh, in Europe to purchase these. So if you are going to go reach out to Rannick and ask to purchase a boat, they might tell you it's a multi-year wait. But if you wow. were to tell them that you are an American citizen trying to row across the ocean in one of these races... They would bump you up to the front of the line because uh, ocean rowing right now is not popular and and frankly not even really known in the United States. And so that you know everybody involved in the sport sees a huge opportunity uh, for market penetration into the U.S. And the cost right now, as a result, is is in the ballpark of eighty to one hundred thousand dollars for these. And and part of that's shipping them to the U.S. 
Um, they're, they're typically made with fiberglass holes. I mean, not too different from a normal, if you think about a sailboat, a small sailboat without a mast, but very similar otherwise. Um, Gotta, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it, you know, if we, if we're able to purchase one, that is the largest expense by a lot. And so for the next team, if they're not raising to buy a boat, all of that money is going to go to a, a nonprofit or some kind of charity that they're passionate about. And frankly, it takes a lot of the stress off, right? I mean, if you were to ask me what keeps me up at night, it's how I'm going to buy this boat. I mean, we just got a voicemail today from our coach uh, that a, a brand new build is coming available in the U.S. And we've got to, you know, after this podcast, we're going to be meeting to talk about like, how do we, how do we set this up? Can we start making these large payments when we haven't raised the money yet for it? But we kind of see it as critical in our mission to purchase the boat because even renting them, I mean, there's again, high demand, low supply. Uh, when you when you talk about renting them or leasing them, it's it's for almost the same price as a new build. I can imagine. Uh, so we want it. We don't want to do that because if we if we lease or rent the next team, when we when we tee them up to do the same thing we did, they're going to have to raise that same amount of money again. And we really want to capitalize on giving back to uh, the community, uh, however these teams see fit, and and not put the burden on them to raise a hundred thousand dollars in a short period of time. Uh, you know. Yeah. But, but overall, I mean, they're designed to self-write so that a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, you think about rowing across the ocean, the first thing you think about is big waves and what happens if you flip over. They should automatically roll back over when the second wave hits. And that's kind of how they're designed. Um, in order to even do the race, you have to have multiple maritime safety inspections. And at least one of them has to be from an organization that's not affiliated with the manufacturer or the race, right? So total third-party um, disinterested to confirm that it's truly seaworthy. And then all of the equipment that goes into it is, is mandatory. It's, you know, we, we could add some nice to haves, but there is a absolutely robust communications platform that's required. And part of that is satellite communications and we have to pay for that subscription. Mm -hmm. um, there's, so when you talk about sat phones and, and certain types of radios, it, it all kind of adds up. Yeah. But generally speaking, the build, when you get it, will come outfitted with everything required, especially from this organization, because we'll be racing with the company that that hosts the largest ocean rowing races. Um, so they're very, very in tune with the standards. But, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll make our own boats. Um, you there know, you go. There's your, here's your new you business know. right there. Yeah. So in terms of what's required physically, mentally, emotionally, to do this, you know, I mean, this is this is some grueling sh. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what you're asking yourself personally, and then what you're asking your your teammates to to do with this. You know, I mean, it's it sure. that, that's not a, that's not a walk in the park. You want to take this one, Blake, or you want me to start? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll take it. So what it looks like is a lot of rowing on an erg machine right now. <laughs> um, we're hoping to finish the race in somewhere between 35 and 45 days. Wow. Wow. So you have that first kind of continental shelf as you come off of the coast of California. Yeah. Provides like a pretty massive uh, headwind to overcome. So it takes about two weeks. And then once you get there, you're kind of with the tides, um, continue your way to Kauai. Mm -hmm. um, you also see a pretty substantial temperature change there. So Pete, Chris, and I um, have been really focusing on training in like adverse weather. So um, what we'll do is, you know, like a one to three hour row, 
And then what we've done previously is kind of mimicked exactly what the rotations would be. So two hours on, two hours off um, for 12 hours. So it's hours. two people rowing at a time? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And the crew is four or five? It's four. Four. Okay. Gotcha. So two on, two off. Is is that Does that line up at all with the sleep schedule if you're on a deployment? You know what I'm saying? Like, did or, or if you're on it? Yeah. So I'm actually glad you asked that because... The the short answer is no, and the in the the battle rhythm that Blake just mentioned is pretty standard. That's what most teams do, and we do have some aspirational goals to get to a position where we can row for four hours on and four hours off um, to try to you know capitalize on sleep as much as we can. But yeah. you know, there's there are certain. I mean, when we were Blake and I have both been to Ranger School, and, and in Ranger School, you don't sleep for more than like two hours a night for sixty days. Wow. So, so sleep, sleep deprivation and, and the challenges associated with that in adverse climate, that's where our entire team will be very familiar. We'll have all been through, frankly, much longer events that require much less sleep. From a, uh, what we're asking of our teammates from a physical, mental, and spiritual point of view, and, and really um, just to keep it brief, what, what we're doing now is, is we're working out six days a week at least. We're following a program, a lot of time on the rower. But again, this is really a mission about grit uh, and, and, you know, maintaining your sanity while, while doing this. Um, but I think the, the biggest ask we have of our teammates is something we learned early on, too. And, it, and this was, again, all kind of by accident. It's just how the, the whole thing developed. But it's you have to commit to the business too. You can't just, you know, plenty of people think this sounds awesome and want to join on. Uh, but you have to commit to the training and you have to commit to the business. There's, we, we have to raise money, uh, you know, or, or the mission won't, it, you know, it won't happen. You know what I mean? So um, unfortunately we, we can't take on teammates that are just going to kind of sit on the rower and work out. Yeah. That's kind of the big thing there. And, and that the whole grit versus physicality thing kind of ties into the boat and, uh, you know, I think we had mentioned some about it, but yeah, the auto tiller, uh, is a question we get a lot. Like, how do you navigate? Yeah. Um, short answer auto tiller. So it's actually a simple piece of equipment, but you, you set a, a course azimuth pretty regularly and, and the boat's going to maintain that heading, uh, using GPS and satellite technology. And so all you're really doing is pushing the boat forward with your oars. Uh, the water maker, you know, that's, that's pretty standard on a lot of small crafts that are that are, that are meant to spend a lot of time in the ocean, but that's turning your salt water into fresh water. Uh, unfortunately, you'll never, we'll never have anything cold for that 40 days, <laughs> uh, except for maybe when we're, we're on the, the short end of the shore on, uh, on the Pacific in near California. Yeah. Um, and then the boat has two solar panels on it. So a big, big challenge that we'll, we'll have to battle is, is power and battery management uh, because those batteries power the auto tiller and the water maker. But we also have all this communications equipment uh, we'll also be, uh, you know, sending updates through social media and video exchanges while we're out there so that our our donors and and followers are, are up to date on the race. And so you have to be pretty strategic about battery management. But again, a lot of that is is very similar to what we did on deployments, you know, making sure that we had a like you, we literally would have a plan for battery management. And so these are things we're pretty familiar with. But You'd be surprised. You you look at these boats and they're they're very simple. It almost looks like a long canoe with uh, two caps at the end, mm. but they they'll cross the ocean over and over again. I mean, there's boats that have been across uh, over four times, and then when when they hit their fourth crossing, the race team all they recommend is replacing the wiring 
and the wiring harnesses to make sure that the electronics still work. Uh, so they're, they're pretty durable little boats. And, and that honestly was surprising to me. And I mean, they can, they can flip, like you said, flip right over. And I remember there's a, um, there's a guy named Chris Burdish, who's a South African big wave surfer. And he stand up paddled on, on one of these craft that was built by, I remember. right. That's the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was, you know, he described at one point being in the thing sealed up, you know, trying to get some sleep and and getting hit by waves and the thing just rolled, you know, I mean, he's holding on, the things rolled completely over, you know. <laughs> That's like, a man right there. <laughs> holy crap. Yeah. 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 You know, and that was the first, when I learned about this uh, sport, that was the first thing I thought about. Cause I remember when I saw his boat yeah. or paddleboard. It's, it looks very similar. You know, it's way bigger and more robust than you'd expect. So when you think about somebody paddling across the ocean, and I guess that there'd be a boat following him and he'd be on a legit flat paddleboard like what I use. Yeah. Um, but it's very similar. Yeah, you, you can get into those cabins. They're watertight uh, and, and roll around all you want. But for us, we'll only at a, at a maximum have two people in the cabins at a time because they, they fit but one the person. They're huge. You're not, you're not, I mean, can, if it's like, really big and really dangerous like can all of you guys fit in the cabins i don't think so to be honest with you i maybe on one of them you probably could squeeze two in there wow uh but honestly you know again i go back to the waves and you know i, I grew up surfing i'm i'm no good I'd, I'd embarrass myself probably going out with you but i've always i've always been passionate about the water and that's my first thought is like well what about the waves and if you talk to the people who have done it they actually prefer larger waves because you'll surf them. They'll like right. they, they'll push the direction that you're going. So one of the, the little uh, tidbits of information that I got that was very interesting from a guy who had literally just finished the race. He said the worst days on the water was when it was calm and flat because you are literally pushing 2,800 pounds, probably more like 3,500 pounds uh, with all of your equipment. You're pushing that boat along, whereas normally uh, the trade winds and the waves currents will take you towards your objective minus that first five days. The Atlantic race has a little bit of an advantage because the second they embark, they're pushing towards their objective. Even if they're not paddling right. for us, we're going to be battling kind of a, a cross headwind for at least the first week. And, uh, you know, going back to that whole sleep thing and, and two people rowing versus not aspirationally, we still would like to be in that first week, three guys on the oars at a time. Uh, which will require a lot more rowing in the day, but we want to really get an advantage powering through that first couple of days because ask any Green Beret uh, if they're willing to suffer for a week and they'll, you know, it'll be like, it's only a week, one week, <laughs> you know what I mean? And even for us, when when we talk, I mean, when I was trying to sell this to my wife, I, this is another thing I realized uh, recently, you know, not really... Most guys don't really reflect on the amount that they put into their job until they're out. And when I told my wife, I was like, it's only 30 days, you know, that's it. And, um, you know, she kind of, she was like, Pete, normal people think 30 days is a long time to be <laughs> away. <laughs> you know? What about so, you? Like, how'd, yeah, you talk your, uh, how'd your wife take to, to hearing about this? She, she said to me the other day, she's like, I think you need to deploy <laughs> because I've been home more now that I'm out of the military than I have been in 10 years. Right. So she's, wow. That's a trip. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, I think, I think we've gotten used to being apart from each other. So there is kind of that aspect of the relationship too. I don't know if Christy ever says anything like that to you, Pete, but <laughs> Uh, yeah. She probably wants you home with the kids. 
Yeah, no, I didn't even realize how much I'd been gone until I was out. And I and I hit that point where I was like, I've been home every single day. You know, I'm starting to, I had this conversation two nights ago, where it's like for the first time in my life, I'm starting to realize how amazing it is that I see my kids every day. Hmm. That's like a new thing. And I don't even know how to explain it. It's a feeling. Um, but when you're, when you're in the teams, you are either deployed or are about to deploy at all times. Right. Or just gone never, UI, which is like a training event. In yeah, the United States. So like, yeah, I, so. think, I think on average, I was gone six to eight months out of a year. Wow. Um, for the entire time I was in SF. Yeah. Does that go for you too, Pete? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Sometimes it's more uh, depending on the year. But I, I actually, so we use a, a program called uh, DTS. It's like our travel agency. And I went back and counted the days. And I was gone in 10 years. I was gone for almost five years. Wow. So it's like 50% of the time. And that includes training. The year I was in the regular army, you know, most of that average comes from being in special operations. But inside of 10th group, I was gone for more than 50% of the time by a long shot. And I didn't even realize it until I was out. And I, again, don't even know how to explain that. Yeah. So like you said, 30 days on the open ocean. I mean, shoots, that's, uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of par for the we're, course we're in both. a way, right? Except for the yeah. fact that two miles of, uh, of, of water between you and, and terra firma um, yeah. out there in the middle of it, right? We're, At we're, least. Yeah, we're very fortunate to be support, uh, supported by very independent, strong women. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah, nice, nice move there, Blake. Thanks for, thanks for covering that. I would have had to do that. Well, that's what they are. <laughs> it's true. Let's talk about the business experience, the 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 civilian job life experience that they're going that the participants in this are going to take from being in this yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And I and I can start with just where we started, the pitch deck. I mean, we started off like we we need to have a really solid pitch deck. Then we had to learn what that looks like and get it vetted through a bunch of people. And so from the very get-go, uh we are going to be challenging the members of our organization to not start from scratch per se, but start from scratch. Like, all right, this really is really forming team. a business here. Yep. You're going to pull a year of, I mean, you are basically spending one year running a business. Uh, there's a special operations mission at the end of it, which is cool, but everything in between is going to be uh, on their shoulders. And then for the, for those of us who have accomplished it already in, in this circumstance, let's say Blake, me and our team has already We'll essentially be advisors, and we'll we'll be bringing in industry experts to assist them. I mean, it, it, I, we 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 see it being a much more robust package. But our teammates are going to have to understand how to budget, uh, manage a PNL, raise money, and what does it look like when you take somebody's money? Um, there, there's a lot that goes into that, and, and Blake, you can talk uh, about some of those options a little bit as well. But simply fundraising, you're yeah. definitely going to learn sales. You're definitely going to learn event planning from a business perspective, right? I mean, anybody in, in the army can plan an event, but when you start to try to rally the community to be at a spot and there's marketing involved, um, there's stakeholder management is a huge one, I think, really. Um, but I think this, this will be for our teammates one of the first times they've ever been truly responsible for the money that's being exchanged. Yeah. Uh, truly responsible for every transaction that takes place. Like, what's the implement implementation of that transaction? Do we buy this equipment now? Do we invest our money here, et cetera? And um, we see it as like, yeah, full multidisciplinary uh, business approach and in a very low threat environment, uh, but in a manner that when it's written down on a resume, which is something else we'll, we'll help with, yeah. uh, it, I believe it'll resonate with employers because the, you know they're going to be like, wait, you, you did what? 
Um, so yeah, yeah that's kind of my thoughts there. Kind of going by the numbers, right? Like we incorporated in the state of Tennessee, that was a whole experience, right? We um, established ourselves as a nonprofit in the state, filed a form 1023EZ with the IRS so that we had tax exempt status, um, going through and setting up bank accounts and lines of credit. Those are all things that like we collectively have done. Um, we've had community outreach events where we partnered with like local vendors um, and negotiated rates for merchandise, mm-hmm. which those were all great experiences. Um, a lot of pitch decks to high net worth individuals, discussing what a donor advised fund is, you know, um, not something an SF guy really deals with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to have conversations like this, preparing for a podcast, like this is just stretching us in so many new and exciting ways. Um, Chris is kind of heading our, well, Chris, Pete and I are all kind of branching out, but we're doing a lot of donor management, um, high net worth individuals, and then also partnering with like different brands. We've been really fortunate to be supported by a brand called LSKD. They're like the Lululemon equivalent of Australia. That's um, awesome. And they're incredible people. They're just now kind of pushing into the United States, establish a shop out in San Diego. Um, and they've kind of thrown their weight behind us and supported us as a team. So kind of negotiating some of those different brand relationships has also been like a really great experience. We've sat and talked down, talked uh, to three different advertising agencies and then worked with two media producers to talk about like potentially doing a documentary. So cool. a lot of growth there. Well, what can people do? What can or should the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, I mean, it's 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 a nonprofit and you guys are are you know, working on what I think are are you know, some worthy fronts, helping out abused children, obviously, and and helping veterans transition into civilian life. I mean, how can how can folks who are listening to this podcast um help you out? Yeah. I think there's a couple things they can do. I think if you have never heard of the National Children's Alliance or a Children's Advocacy Center, definitely go and check that out. The work that those people do is absolutely incredible. Um, we've gotten to go and visit some of them kind of at the tactical level. You mm-hmm. know, we've talked to the strategic level up in Washington, but then going and actually meeting the people that are doing the work is absolutely incredible. They're amazing people who put their, you know, mental well-being on the line every day. And so they're like, man, we're so, you know, so impressed by what you do. They say that to us. And I'm like, dude, you guys are, you guys are heroes. So I think definitely being, you know, getting out and educating yourself on like what's going on in your community and and supporting those kinds of people is amazing. Um, One of the programs that we have for the people that we bring in to course of racing is we want to partner them up with like really solid uh, mentors. Hmm. So we've been building a Rolodex of people that have achieved success, uh, you know, financial business success, um, who are humble, thoughtful, kind uh, people, and they understand the value and the difficult, the value of a special, you know, special operations guy, but then also the difficulty of what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those guys have really been pouring into Chris, really been pouring into me, and we're hoping to leverage them kind of moving, moving forward to do that same thing for a new cohort. So if there are people out there that are passionate about partnering with and looking out for and helping in job placement or helping in, um, converse, you know, having a coffee conversation, like that's really what it's about. You know, I, I'll be really transparent. Like I'm 
there's a lot of people that would think it's cool to have like a conversation with a green beret, but really aren't going to do anything much more than that. Right. And so we have been very particular about like who we're engaging with because we really do want people who actually care about the individual and not just like a really cool coffee experience. Gotcha. Um, and then obviously, you know, for those people who are in a position to either donate to us, you know, through a donor advised fund, that would be amazing. If it's a smaller donation, you can go to our website, which is courseracing.com. Cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, partnerships. I'm, in the future, Pete and I have talked about, we'd re- really love to put like a crew of firefighters mm-hmm. on, on one boat and a crew of police officers on one ro- boat and row up, up the Hudson River, right? Or have Army and Navy like compete against each other uh, off the coast, like right outside of Annapolis. So if there are people who like have a heart for this kind of thing and want to see where so see where we can go and maybe want to, you know, um, drive a support craft that mm-hmm. just kind of tailors behind the boat to make sure that like they're safe if they're doing a passage. Well, that's an interesting, you know, there, there's right there. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of boaters that listen to this podcast. You know, if there's anybody out there that wants to uh, that wants to help track um, these guys as they are traveling across the great ocean with one of your nice boats that they're not going to be allowed to ride on. Um <laughs> <laughs> reach out to him. Pete and I will be on the boat. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the other, this is for future teams. Uh, yeah, for future yeah. teams. <laughs> we'll sit on the Viking. Okay, cool. Kind of my the way I sum it up is is Blake touched on the mentorship. Uh, we're always looking for uh, successful partners uh, that are willing to mentor guys as they're transitioning. Uh, the media. Uh, Blake mentioned our website, courseracing.com. That kind of tells all about the race, about our team. Also gives you an opportunity to donate. Uh, additionally, we have. Courser.racing is our Instagram page, and you can kind of follow our journey there. Right now, you'll see a lot of what we're doing to train up. Uh, you'll see posts about our our, our swag opportunities and, and different competitions. Uh, just sent out a prize this week uh, for somebody that was the closest guest to how far we rode uh, as a team. Hmm. And then the last part is, is money. So you got the three M's, right? Mentorship, media, and money. It's, it, uh, we have the opportunity to buy a boat right now. There's a new boat coming to the U.S. and um, uh, we, we, we really could use the donations. So, uh, we have a donate link on our website. Uh, we, we're, a, you know, federally recognized nonprofit and, uh, anybody that does donate becomes a part of our circle. We'll keep them updated along the way. Uh, we have, uh, incentive packages for, for organizations that are willing to sponsor us or even individuals, uh, where, where you'll get marketing out of us, um, cool. and other, uh, other opportunities to kind of show your brand and your support. Uh, and show our thanks to to you as a as a donor. And then the last thing I'll say, and and this is a plug for LSKD. Um, no, I mean we we as Green Berets have been in the fitness community our whole career uh, at a pretty serious level. Professional coaches, all that. And I'm not joking when I say LSKD has the best best athletic clothing I've ever used. Price included, right? Fantastic prices. But right now they have a discount code. It's Courser Crew Twenty. Cool. And you can go on there and, and anything will be 20% off. And if you use that discount code and, and get some great workout attire, uh, that supports our mission as well. Uh, some of that, some of the proceeds that discount go to us. So um, that's just a couple of ways you can give back. But if you follow us on, on social media, you'll see a lot more because uh, we're pretty, we're pretty active on, on social media and not in our communities. Well, excellent. Gentlemen, it's been a uh, honor and a privilege to talk to you guys. I hope we uh, we help spread the word and and um, you know are going to be able to help you guys make this happen. I think it's a it's a really cool 
interesting, well thought out project and nonprofit and goal that you guys are are pursuing here. And, and I really wish you all the best. Yeah. And hey, we'll have our boat out there in Charleston uh, and, and we'll take you out for a ride if you're interested. And Hell really yeah. any of your listeners as well, if you want to if you want to give it a shot. Um, we're happy to show it off and, and show this sport off and, and put you on the boat and test it out as well. Yeah, it's great having Blake as a neighbor, so I'm definitely going to take Yeah, it yeah you get first dibs. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Thank well, you so um, much. Absolutely. And uh, thanks, thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is uh, Chris Dixon with Power Motor Yacht and Active Interest Media signing off on the Power Motor Yacht podcast. We will hopefully see all of you on the water. Tiff